Welcome everyone once again to another episode of the Immigrants Journey podcast, a space where we grow and learn about Ireland's immigrant populations and multiculturalism in Ireland. I am your host, Carmenetta, and I am delighted to have with us today Tom Duffy, the musical director of Maracatu Ilia Bigliacci, Ireland's only all-island percussion group. Tom is a member of the Maracatu Europa Pan-European Percussion Group, and Maracatu Ireland showcases an introduction to Maracatu dance and prior to this lockdown they put on live shows and workshops to share this vibrant and energetic expression of afro-brazilian culture tom welcome to the show thank you very much thanks for having me my pleasure so tell me a little bit about your background where did you grow up and how did music come into your life and when did you discover maracatu okay well i'm i'm dublin born um just, just outside the city um, I studied fine art uh, through college and on the far side of that I came out and joined community arts group that had a whole lot of um, pageantry and street processions and that sort of stuff. Um, that was about 22, 23 years ago at a time when community arts was developing in Ireland. Um, and one of the tools people were using to help develop the fledgling community arts was drumming drumming groups and samba groups and um we didn't know a whole lot then but we're using it as community activation projects um somebody brought a workshop to me um i i just joined in in in, in a workshop at one day immediately the bug bit so i suppose i i i just i i grew as i grew into enjoying music and enjoying brazilian music specifically we sought out more training um, and we were very lucky because there's quite a lot of groups developing and um, growing at that point in Ireland, mostly non-Brazilians. Um, and yeah, so so samba sort of grew in Ireland and that, that musical journey for me, really, I, I was an amateur player prior to that. Um, but my journey grew in percussion at that point uh, where I went to Brazil and sought out training and also sought out some European teachers um, and it sort of developed up from there. How did it come to become popular in artistic circles in Ireland, like playing multicultural music and getting into the whole Afro-Brazilian musical culture? Um, at the time, like I said, it's, 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 quite, it's quite a while ago now. Um, at the time, there was a big push for the street pageantry had sort of changed and there was the, the, the focus of street pageantry in Ireland had looked much more towards South America in the celebrations that happen on the street, big community gatherings. The carnival music was growing in Ireland. Um, with that, there was quite a few of the musicians who would have been my teachers and leaders of groups that I attended started to visit Brazil. And in turn, they would have brought back a much broader um, palette of music. So initially, what we would have trained in is uh, samba reggae and Afro samba from Salvador, uh, some general samba batucada. It wasn't even samba and heidu at that stage. It was general drum samba, Rio style-ish. But as other people got passionate, they went and researched and in turn brought back a variety of, of music. One of those was uh, Maracatu, where one of my teachers, a guy called Simeon from Masamba in Dublin, um, had spent time in, in Hesifi and had taken in some of the music from there. So... Um, it does Coco and Serandas and Maracatu and he, he was massively bitten by one particular group called Nassau Zumbi and at the time it was Chico Zions and Nassau Zumbi 
um, and this massive mangy beat movement in in Brazil, where older cultures were being integrated into newer musics with funk and hip hop, and in turn the younger people in 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 Recife, you know, Linda, were getting into that. And yeah, so that music came back to Ireland and that immediately just lit a fire. I was really curious about this music. Um, Lots of syncopation, really heavy drums. I would have come from punk and metal in my taste in music prior to that. And the weight of the music was, was, was astounding to me. It was only later that I understand the, or at least grow to, uh, grow to understand some of the, the cultural weight of the music. At that time, it, it was just beats for me. It was just music and celebration and fun and a way to party. Um, and it was only afterwards for, for years of, of doing my own research did I realize that the Afro, um, the, the Afro diasporic influence uh, with, within the music was, was essential, absolutely essential to this expression. Um, and in turn, I sort of fell in love with that and began researching that culturally as well as musically that's amazing and i feel so envious because i kind of grew up with a footloose situation i don't know if you've seen the film uh the american film footloose but it's basically about this ultra conservative preacher with some kids and dancing is verboten but i grew up in that kind of situation because my family was protestant christian and super super conservative so i didn't grow up culturally with the experience of the music of my country which i feel like i've been really deprived it pisses me off but anyway so i I love to hear about how other people experience it and what it means to them. It's really amazing. Tell me, what's the most rewarding thing about being a musician? Um, the opportunity for connection with other people and other cultures. Um, because when you go in anywhere as a musician, there, you already come in with a certain structure and a certain way to open doors. You know, because if you're curious about music... Every culture has a musical expression. So, you know, you find the people who are also passionate about that music. Um, so I've been, I've been very lucky that I've, I've had teachers who always were passionate about the music. It was never cold and clinical. Um, I wouldn't say I'm the most accomplished musician in the world, um, but I, I really enjoy the humanity within the music, the, 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 how people shine from within when they play when they dance when they come together with other people who are passionate um and that's that's a really heady mix um and it's it's so for me that that's the, the greatest gift is even having the limited amount of skill and experience i have it has opened up so many doors and i've met so many people who, who have become lifelong friends um and lifelong teachers um, and I think that's that music just has that opportunity. Also, it's a real kick to get on stage, shout your lungs out um, and have people dance to what you do. That's really exciting and great fun. Definitely. And it's certainly uh, exciting and fun to be part of that kind of audience and situation. What's the most frustrating part about being a musician? Um, I think it's possibly the... I, I would say it's two things. There's two things in it. One is, I think, with, as as any creative person will tell you, you spend 90% of your time in self-doubt. And, you know, for that 10%, or not even 10%, it might be just even smaller percentage of that moment to shine. But you, 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 you doubt yourself all the way up to it. 
and the other side of it. Not when you're doing it, but, you know, because it feels comfortable when you're doing it. Um, and then the other time is, I suppose, it's, it's once again, it's the not knowing working within the arts. You have to spread yourself very thin uh, to provide an, a regular income. Um, so it's the financial. It's always that balance between the creative and the financial. Um, you know, to do to do work that's rewarding to yourself, um, you sort of have to do all the ancillary work around it. You also have to be immensely organized, which for me is a real challenge. Um, I, 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 as I'm getting older, I realize I have the capabilities to um, think on the hoof and to um, just roll with the punches. However, um, you, you know, you always have to pull in new skills and learn new skills to survive and to thrive and to get that the same moment on stage or moment to write a piece of music or moment to stand in front of a group when a piece of music has just been born. Um, it's all the other things you have to do to just get that little chink of light through the door. That is so true. It's uh, always an upward battle, isn't it? So who are the members of Monarcha 2 Ireland? Are these Brazilian musicians? Are these musicians from around the world? Where did you guys meet? Where did you find each other? Um, okay, so first, first question first. Currently, I think the last count is we had 13 or 14 different nationalities in the group. Um, our membership at the moment is we have about 30 active members um, between rehearsals and gigs at any particular time we probably have 20 to 25 in a room um, we would have a nice cohort of Brazilians in the mix um, the nature of, of a lot of Brazilians in Ireland is they'll come for a couple of years and go away again um, some have put their roots down in Ireland and figured they want something Brazilian in the mix in their own lives um, and have become longer term members. Um, so, yeah, I, ironically, ironically, we have um, we've also a whole new generation of of people. And they're not members yet. We have a new generation this year. Five of our um, our shaker players, I bay players. Um, have had babies, so we're we're, we're we figure we're we're breeding the next generation of Marquesinos <laughs> in Ireland, you know. Um, nice, but yeah. So how it started was I had been playing Marquesinos with a group that I I ran here down in the south of Ireland, um, and we 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 had a small ensemble, a group called Jackere, um, and I had a larger group. And I had gained a little bit of a reputation for somebody who knew some Afro-Brazilian music and culture and songs. And I got a request from a group up in Sligo to facilitate a weekend workshop. Um, the reason we facilitated, or the reason that request happened was that at that time there was a growing movement of Maracatu in Europe. And a few of us would travel over to the big encontros, the big gatherings of Marca 2. Primarily the first couple of years were in London. Then there was a one in Nantes in France. But at the one in Nantes, we rocked up with some of our group. And it turned out that there must have been 25 people from Ireland, all none of none of whom playing in established groups, but all of whom came together to 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 meet this this encontro. So on the strength of that, um, Stephanie Paula, who was musical director for a group in the northwest of Ireland, 
um, said, look, let's let's do a weekender. Let's just put Madoka 2 on the map and see if I, could, I myself could bring some rhythms and work with all of these disparate samba groups as they would have been euphemistically known, but basically batucada groups. So we came together and had um, what could only be described as an earth-shatteringly positive weekend where we just did some fundamental Madoka 2. We worked together socially really, really well. The energy was was beautiful, really, really beautiful. Um, and on the strength of that, um, and that, that was April 13th, 10 years ago, um, on the strength of that, it, the group that was formed eventually became Marika Tuilia Brillianci. Um, but it was, it was um, yeah, so this year we're celebrating 10 years. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you very much. This COVID-19 has put a bit of a pause on our plans. However, we are looking into uh, bigger celebrations in autumn anyway. So keep an eye on that. For sure. Definitely will. And we'll promote it on the podcast as well. What do you think are some of the greatest challenges to multiculturalism in Ireland at the moment? Um, I, I suppose it's, that it's quite a, that's quite a difficult question for me to answer. I have been blessed with an opportunity to work with um, cultures within Ireland before there was in, in international multiculturalism. You know, we would have worked when I came out of art college, we would have worked with uh, inner city communities, traveler communities. Um, the, the, the time when definition of um, a community or community or culture was actually shattering into it wasn't a single thing. It was many different things. Um, I grew up in an Ireland that was primarily very white, um, you know, maybe two generations maximum from agriculture. Um, and at a time when there was beginning to be influx of of cultures from, I suppose, in the early 70s, there would have been some people from Indonesia. There would have been, um, when I was growing up, some people from Eastern Europe, Um so I, I think I think Ireland has sort of strained to grow into a much more multicultural place in that perspectives have had to change. But like I said, personally, I've been very lucky to be in that mix because I work within the arts and I see the possibilities, the cultural possibilities and the richness of a lot of different people who I've met along the line. As a nation, however, I think we're always struggling against a conservatism of such an established white rural society. So I, I think there there is growing pains. There's no no doubt that there's growing pains. Direct provision, for example, I think is is an embarrassment and I think it's insulting. I think that's a huge difficulty and I think that's something we're not doing well as a nation because it it dehumanizes people. And I think anything that dehumanizes or or generalizes a person I, I think is is immensely negative. I think governments also just don't know what to do. They don't know. Like I mean, in my thinking, if the person has the ability to work, let them work. You know what I mean? Like doing, getting up and having something to look forward to is like the most basic necessity of all human beings. To wake up and feel like my contribution is not valuable. I have nothing to offer. That's really demoralizing. And I don't think anybody should be put in that kind of position. But it, it's there. There is a thing of that. There was an opportunity, and, and I suppose I'm I'm old enough now. I'm I'm in my mid forties. Um, I remember when there was an increase of of 
um, people coming from from all over the world and and the challenges of um, people seeking refugee status, um, people who were um, immigrating for financial reasons, which, you know, I think is perfectly as legitimate as any reason. Um, But there was an opportunity that I think Ireland missed at that point where we knew there would be a greater influx because our country had become was becoming more wealthy because it had broader shoulders to help carry more people and 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 support more people that we would naturally attract more people um, and I think we missed an opportunity to put support structures and systems in place to make that easier for people to come in you know and and I think that's unfortunate yeah, we do have a tendency to react to situations rather than to plan ahead and prepare properly. I would even see like I lived in County Cork for about seven years. And I remember every single winter with the rains, the River Lee would flood the entire downtown area. But they just wouldn't do something to permanently solve the issue because ah, sure, it'll be grand. It won't be as bad next year. But it's kind of like, it's coming. You know it's coming. Do something to prep for it. And this kind of mentality of ah, sure, it'll be grand. It's kind of pervasive throughout the country. It's distinctly Irish, you know. <laughs> One of the things, I'd be very lucky to work with quite a lot of maestities over the years, musical maestities. Um, and at one stage I worked with with an amazing guy, a guy called Mario Pang, who is the musical director of Ile Aie in Salvador. Um, and he absolutely got, he thought the Irish and the Brazilians just were peas in a pod just because of that slightly more, we'll be fine. It'll be good. Relax. We'll get there. Um, and he seemed to get it. You know, he sort of felt that there was a sort of similarity there. No, I've, I've heard that many times Brazilian and Irish people saying that our cultures are very similar in so many ways, especially the attitudes of people of just like being a bit more chill. And uh, but there's something really lovely and nice about that as well, because like in contrast, like me growing up in the United States, everything was always go, 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 fly by the seat of your pants. Everybody's like hyper competitive. So to have a different kind of pace to life on a cultural level is quite nice. What has been your experience traveling abroad to perform? Um, to perform. OK, so. Yeah, once again, I use the word blessed a lot. I don't necessarily mean it in a religious way. I mean, I've been very fortunate. Um, So I I work as a musician, I I work with quite a lot of different groups, specifically my um, experience with Brazilian music um, has been primarily with um, poor communities. Um, My first trip, to Brazil, where I performed in Brazil, was actually in Maranhão in the in, in the north, right up in the north, actually. Um, and I would have I would have gone there to play and learn boy, um, and would have played down in in the favelas. There's a place called um, Liberdade in in Maranhão, um, and I the, the people welcome me once again. We're talking about that that path of music to just go. Well, I'm interested in what you're interested in. Um, yeah. And I was welcomed with open arms. And that almost universally has been my experience Um, in that, you know, I have been very lucky to see quite a lot of Afro-Brazilian ceremonies. I have traveled into uh, Quilombos. Um, I have I've played Afoche in in Berlin uh, for there's a massive big Afoche is the 
uh, Carnival de Kulturen. Um, so, yeah, generally speaking, it's 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 always been with large communities. It's been communities that were either pre-existing communities or communities that we've been brought together for an event. Um, almost all of the time, it's, you know, if, if it's within a Brazilian context, you know, you, you just, you say, yes, look, thank you very much. You get involved, you give it as much respect and as much passion and as much energy as you can do while you still stand. Um, if it's outside that, once again, you, you just see, you know, who, who is the person leading this? Who's the person directing this? Um, and if they are authentic and if they are, mm, authentic is a tricky word, if they are um, honest and respectful of what they're doing, by and large, it, it, it is a positive, beautiful experience. Um, the highlight if, if I may, the highlight of any traveling outside Brazil. I've been lucky. I've been in Brazil a few times now. Um, our group is now uh, affiliated with uh, a Maracatu, a Nassau of Maracatu, um, a cultural group um, in Hesifi, in Ebura in Hesifi, uh, a group called uh, Maracatu Nassau Leao da Campina. Um, and their, their Mestri, Mestri Hugo, is, I'm lucky to consider him as a friend. He's an absolute gem of a man. Um, but the last time we were over, we played with their group um, in Carnival and he invited a couple of us to play in um, with their group on, on a particular event called the Noche dos Tambores Silencios, the Night of the Silent Drums. Um, it's where the Nassans, the, the cultural groups, play for the respect of, of the people who came before them, the respect of their beliefs and... Um, and as somebody who, like I said, I'm short, chubby little white guy from Dublin, um, to be invited into that and to be part of that has been the most astounding experience. You know, like 10 years prior, I was there as an audience member. Um, and the great thing about Maraca too is it, 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 it does that. You, it, it's always about community. It's always about connecting, you know. Um, and when you're in the middle of it, you, you feel it, you know, you perform it, but you're also, you, you know, you give immensely of yourself and you receive greatly from the people around you. Yeah, that sounds really amazing. If that doesn't sound too hippy-dippy, but, you know, it is, is it just... No, no, not at all. I think a lot of times that's what a lot of urban people miss because everything tends to be so fast-paced and go, go, go. you got to be in this place and that place to have like a space where you can connect on a really human level and just enjoy art and express art and be part of a community that's just embracing each other across cultures is just really an amazing thing. And I've always loved that aspect of music. Um, for future directions of Maraca to Ireland, where would you like to see this go evolve in the coming months, years? There's there's a couple of larger plans. So as I said earlier on, we're we're celebrating ten years this year, and and, and it's a great opportunity to review where we've come from, and actually t- to do a strategic planning of of um, where we would like to go to. So although I'm musical director, um, Ili Brilliancci is is a family, um, albeit with a really formal structure. Um, it does it does have a committee because it's it's anything like that is 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 bigger than the group of or bigger than the work of one person. You know, um, 
I steer the the group musically, but we would have a committee. We would have, um, you know, people looking after costume. We would have, and we're not, we're still not a huge group. We're not a big organization. We're not for profit organization, um, but we are a family. Um, and that opportunity for that family to perform more, actually for me was the big one because logistically it's very difficult to get 25, 30 people anywhere. Um, It's difficult financially. It's difficult logistically. It's difficult um, to fit people's schedules, particularly for a group. Um, As a national group, people generally have to travel from all over the country to get to any one event. Um, So, I mean, for example, at the moment, we have two of our members are are from Kerry. You know, we have four members in Sligo. We have members in Belfast. So like we have that whole national spread. So for for any to get us in anywhere to perform and to showcase what we do and to share what we do, because it is always about sharing it. Um, it's just that that's a challenge. I'd like to find for me, I'd like to find more ways for us to, to perform that big group, you know. Um, so we have we were very lucky. We, we've performed. Um, we do perform internationally. At some events, I mean, a couple in a year, generally speaking, we when we perform nationally, they tend to be slightly smaller groups. So eight to 10 people, um, because the opportunity to put 25, 30 people anywhere is rare enough. And I'd love to see more of that. Yeah, that would be really cool. Are you taking on more members? Well, at the moment, we're, we're babysitting all of our members who are sitting at home, not banging drums. Um are we taking members? We do it on a regular basis. We do do it on a regular basis. When we come out of this COVID-19 um, debacle, this this madness that is COVID-19, we will be taking on new members. Yes. So looking September, October, um, generally speaking, we would take on first thing in the year and then after the summer because we tend to gear up for the summer, you know. Um, yes. So we would play, you know, electric picnic and, and body and soul, those sort of festivals. Um, so once we come the far side of that, we go back into training mode. So the opportunity is there for people to join. So yes, is the answer to that question. Um, and it's purely a matter of making contact. Generally, we try and take people on who have, um, some rhythmic experience, not essential because we do do some, um, beginners sessions, but because as a national group, we only meet on a monthly basis there's an expectation that people would know something. So we're not working always with the fundamentals, um, but also have the ability to, to learn and train themselves between sessions, you know? Yes. Um, So, and I think some people with some music experience understand, Oh, hang on. I got to practice, you know? Um, So, you know, so it means that when we get together, people are sort of hit the ground running and raring to go. But we're all, we're always looking for people who are passionate about the music and come with the right energy, actually. And and yes. that's that for me is is possibly more important even than the musicianship. Is we are as a group, we are a family, um, and with with all with all the positives and the negatives, um, <laughs> in that in that you know we know each other. That you know the group is ten years old, but some of us are playing each, with each other nearly twenty years. Um, wow. So, you know, we try when we do get together, we try and bring what we can bring, bring the positive energy, but also understand that everybody has their own lives. Um, 
and and everybody's in a different place when they do get together. So sometimes, you know, you know, I, I you know, we have to carry somebody else. Other times other people carry me. You know, it's like we, we try and support each other. So it's not just a band playing beats, you know, um, yes. because the spirit of Marika 2 is one of mutual respect. The spirit of Marika 2 is one of caring and being proud of where you're from. And, you know, and, and for me, that's great because because we're such a, a multinational group, um, people bring so many elements to that, but they come with an open heart, you know, and ready, ready to make noise and to dance and to play and to sing. Absolutely. Final question. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you first got started in your career as a musician? I think I wish I knew I was going to be doing it a lot longer than just a hobby. Um, because initially when I started learning, I had that desperation of youth. I, I want I want to know it all. I want to know it all now. Um, and it's that thing of almost like sitting behind your phone. You want to record the information. Um, and now I'm 22, 23 years doing it and playing. Um, I'm, I'm much more relaxed about it. And I, I, I feel, um, I'm much less, much less rigid about the learning. I'm much more open about what else is going on in the room. Um, like I said, that, that what the energy is in the room, how people feel, because ultimately, you know, the ego you have when you start, um, you want to be the best. Um, And then the longer you do, you realize you'll never actually be the best. Um, (laughs) And that's absolutely fine. You know, that that's fine. Um, So maybe if, if I could just told myself to just chill out a little bit, um, <laughs> and enjoy the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just you know, put 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 down the mental camera, and just look around. Look at at the people sitting on the steps who are listening to the music. Watch those small details where you might play, and you think, "Oh, we're doing that wrong." But actually, what you should do is look at people, and people are nodding their heads or tapping their feet. And it's not about the right or wrong. It's about yeah what you're giving and and what you're getting back from that. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. And where can people find you and find more about Marika 2 and the work that you guys are doing? Okay, well, first, Carmen, thank you so much for the invitation. It's, it's lovely. Um, really lovely to talk to you. Um, so with Ili Brillianci, you can Google Marika 2 Ireland. It's probably the easiest way to do it. We have a Facebook presence. Um, we are on Twitter, if anybody still uses Twitter. I'm sure they do. Um, <laughs> we, we, we also we have a Facebook page. Generally speaking, when we run courses or do gigs, we will put it up on the Facebook page. Um, if you want to contact me directly, um, I do communicate to people directly for individual courses and for groups. Um, and I, if people sort of drop me an email, then what I'll do is, is if something comes up, I'll sort of, irrespective of you having to watch Facebook, I'll say, there's something coming up. If you fancy coming, you're more than welcome. Um, and that's literally just, that's true, marika 2 Ireland at gmail.com. That's perfect. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Web Website. All the stuff, all the normal stuff, you know. I'll put I'll put links to all of it in the show notes when the episode is published. So I just want to thank everyone for listening. 
And don't forget to like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Anchor, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until the next journey. Ciao.